Hi there, I'm Tiara Vian, and this is KJZZ's Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. It's the latest stories from the week, designed to catch you up on some highlights from our community. Thanks so much for listening for the week of October 9th, 2023. In a 3-2 vote Wednesday, the commission that regulates most Arizona utilities decided it will consider changes to the way rooftop solar customers are compensated for excess generation. As Catherine Davis-Young reports, solar energy advocates say the move will cause major instability in the industry. Utilities APS and Tucson Electric Power, along with dozens of solar customers and industry workers, spoke against the idea of relitigating Arizona's compensation rates. But Commissioner Nick Myers said he wants to look at rates because he thinks utilities are compensating solar customers too much, so other customers end up paying more. I don't see any harm in having a discussion, and that's all I'm advocating for at this point. But members of the industry say they would be harmed by the move. About 8,000 Arizonans work in solar jobs. Donald Dar, who has a solar design business, testified that the industry is so unpredictable, he calls it the solar coaster. He and many others argued any amount of regulatory uncertainty will scare business away. This will send us back down that solar coaster in a very steep decline. It might even come off the rails completely. People will lose their jobs. Commissioners said they will not consider changes to rates for existing solar customers. Catherine Davis-Young, KJZZ News, Phoenix. In business news, the Phoenix Theatre Company launched a new season in early September with a dynamic portrayal of legendary singer Billie Holiday. The showrun produced by the 100-plus-year-old company continues this month. As Tom Maxidon tells us, the production is told through Holiday's anecdotes and her singing at a club in Philadelphia during the last days of her life. If I should take a notion to jump into the ocean That's Holiday singing on a 1949 recording of Ain't Nobody's Business If I Do, a 1920s blues song credited to Porter Granger and Everett Robbins. It's one of many included in a one-woman show produced by the Phoenix Theatre Company titled Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. The production was written by playwright Lainey Robertson and stars Yolanda London, who used to live in the Valley. When you learn to appreciate Billy, you have to understand some things about life. There's so much joy in the storytelling and in the performance, but there's also a lot of pain. This production doesn't shy away from that. You get the light in the dark. Lady Day includes soulful and heart-wrenching songs from Holiday's extraordinary music catalog and touches on her battles with alcoholism and drug abuse in her later years. The show takes place in 1959 in a seedy Philadelphia bar just four months before a tragic death, according to director Chanel Bragg. It's in South Philly, which is a predominantly black area, and the concert is at 12 o'clock at night. We have her enter all regal, and she's the Billie Holiday. But as the course of the night goes through, and I do think this is the playwright's intention, and it's definitely the intention I leaned into as a director, was to really feel like Philadelphia's hurt Billie Holiday. Bragg says audiences should think of the production as more of a play with music rather than a musical. It's more Billie sharing anecdotes about her life between her set lists. 
And there's a very clear distinction of when she's straying off the set or when she's being told to get back on the set list or she's improvising a song on the spot. Whereas musical theater is, I have all these feelings inside me that are bubbling up that I just can't do anything else but sing about it. <laughs> In addition to the band, which acts as a character, London says the audience is one too, as there's no barrier between Holiday and them. In fact, she hopes they'll interact. I ask questions of the audience when I'm up there as Billy. I hope the audience walks away knowing your energy is vital to what's going on here. This relationship between the artist and the audience is real. How do we participate in that? How do we support these people who are out here expressing humanity for us and reflecting humanity back to us? From a directorial standpoint, Bragg was attracted to the playwright's vision of giving audiences an evening with Holiday, rather than a deep retrospective of her life. I didn't want to just do a simple, Billie Holiday was born in 1915 to Sadie Fagan, right? Like, I didn't want it to be just a stereotypical history lesson. Instead, Bragg likens viewing the performance to watching MTV's version of Billy Unplugged. That's how it feels. It's that intimate. It's that quiet, and she's that close to you. Other than the experience of her beautiful music and the incredible, phenomenal artist that she was, but how much of her humanity you get to experience. London has played the role before, but this time it's different. This is the first time I did the show and it was directed by a woman and a black woman at that. And I walked into the project saying, okay, how is this room going to be different? The space that she created was honest and open and exploratory. She hopes Holiday's story inspires audiences to engage in self-reflection. I want them to walk away feeling something, feeling Billy's blues, feeling her light, feeling her joy, feeling her pain. I also hope that we sit back and reflect on the people around us, you know, the experiences that they might be having and how we contribute, how we support, and what we choose to ignore and what we choose to acknowledge. And just maybe, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill acknowledges what a little moonlight can do to spotlight our shared humanity. Tom Maxidon, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. Thanks for listening. In Fronteras News. Later this month, the state will be auctioning off shipping containers used to construct former Governor Doug Ducey's illegal makeshift border wall. Greg Haney reports. The Arizona Department of Administration wants to unload more than 2,000 containers and will auction five at a time online every two weeks starting October 16th. The starting bid for each will be $2,000. Some containers will be sold individually and others will be sold in groups of three. The department says containers are still available for direct purchase by nonprofit entities and governments. The state spent about $100 million to put up the container wall last year and in short order spent $76 million to take it down after a federal lawsuit. Greg Haney, KJZZ News, Phoenix. In Tribal Natural Resources, which is supported in part by a grant from the Katina Foundation. Wednesday was an important holiday for one Native community outside of Tucson, and Gabriel Pietrazio had a chance to see it for himself. Hundreds of cars parked in front of the San Javier del Bac mission at the Fonahofa Nation on Wednesday evening. It was the feast day for St. Francis, a holiday shared among Mexican communities, too. He's considered to be their patron saint. 
The festivities involve a pilgrimage walking 120 miles to Magdalena de Quino, a city in Sonora, Mexico, to kiss the head of a statue resembling his likeness. The completion of that days-long round trip culminates with a celebration. Loud bells began chiming from the 18th century Catholic white stucco church, followed by a barrage of fireworks bursting overhead. Then a crowd formed a large circle, engulfing a procession led by men shaking maracas and strumming string instruments, carrying a carving of St. Francis. For KJZZ News, I'm Gabriel Pietrazio, reporting from the San Javier Indian Reservation. In science news, wash your hands and cover your sneezes. Flu cases and other respiratory infections are on the rise in Arizona. As Katherine Davis-Young reports, health officials say now is the time to get up to date on immunizations. The state health department has tracked about three times more flu cases so far than what's typical for this time of year. The CDC recommends getting a flu shot by the end of October for the best protection. Health officials also suggest getting an updated COVID-19 vaccine at the same time as your flu shot. Recent hospitalizations and deaths from COVID have been relatively low, but Arizona is still seeing about 3,000 cases per week. There's also a new vaccine for RSV available this year for adults over 60 and pregnant women. Last winter, RSV spiked to record levels in Arizona. Katherine Davis-Young, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. And finally, from the show this week, we have two experts who give us a crash course in what polls are good for and what they simply can't do. Here's co-host Lauren Gilger. Polling is everywhere these days. There are polls on the morning news, polls about current events, polls about showing that people really do love pumpkin spice. You're asked to take a poll just about every time you finish shopping somewhere. And of course, there are presidential horse race polls. Right now, those are pretty squarely focused on the impending close race between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. And we're still more than a year from Election Day. But as we are all about to be inundated with political polls, as we barrel toward November 2024. How can you tell what to believe? What's a good poll and what's a bad one? And what can polls just simply not do? Well, today I have two polling experts here to explain it all. Paul Bentz is a longtime Arizona political consultant and pollster and senior vice president of research and strategy at High Ground Public Affairs. And Emily Guskin is a polling analyst for The Washington Post. I spoke with them both recently, beginning with how we should approach the mound of polling that is headed toward us in the next year. Should we tune it out or just use it differently? Here's Benz. Polling is still the most reliable way to get an understanding of what a large group of people are thinking. Uh, It's been used over the years in a lot of positive ways to ascertain what's going on in an electorate or within an audience or within a group because you can ask a certain number of folks and get a pretty reliable response. Mm -hmm. The challenge is it's also easy to manipulate. It's Mm -hmm. easy to ask questions in a certain way or talk to a certain audience and get the result you want. And the problem is the audience doesn't know the difference unless you dig into the numbers themselves, unless you dig into the survey to get an idea of whether you're getting good data or bad data. Yeah. So, Emily, then I want to turn to you because I know you help shape polls on a national level there at The Post. How do you do this in a way that is, you know, down the middle, that does not lead people to one answer or another? Let me first say that Paul is completely right. It's not anecdotal data. We are getting scientific, a little art, a little science data about 
about what people think. And you can't do that with man on the street interviews. Um, as much as we love uh, love anecdotal <laughs> data, we, we get the we get the big stuff together when we have data. And one way that we do that is by asking barely worded questions and asking them in an order that doesn't bias the respondent. So mm. if you're going to ask someone about an issue, you need to give them a little bit of information so that they can opine on that. But you don't want to overwhelm them with information. And you also don't want to share something that is completely biased because getting information from a question that's biased is not really helpful for understanding what people are thinking. So in terms of the way in which you construct a poll, that's a little bit about the questioning. We know there's sample sizes here. We know there's the how you do the poll, whether it's someone calling you on the phone or sending you a text message to fill out a form online or if it's like an opt-in poll is a thing. I don't want to get way, way in the weeds on this, Paul, but give us the, the sort of overview of, of the, the best practices. Oh, sure. But, but one thing that Emily said that I think is really important mm. to note when she's talking about anecdotal data, we hear this a lot in even bigger scales now because people say, nobody I talk to thinks that or everybody, <laughs> you know, I saw nothing about it on social media. I mean, people have self-selected themselves into smaller and smaller segments mm-hmm. where they only listen to the things that are within their their bubble. Mm-hmm. And so that's what polling is really important about is it takes a broader view and the good polls talk to the audience that's reflective of everyone, not just your friends or not just the people that you may tune into on cable news or anything. Mm-hmm. And so what you're looking for with a good survey is a survey that is reflective of the audience that it's trying to poll. Um, when we talk about electoral surveys, we're talking about voters, people who have a history of voting in elections, people who are registered to vote, and reflective of what that audience is going to look like. If you ask a bunch of Republicans about a Republican candidate, they're going to like that candidate, and similarly for a Democratic candidate. But it, you have to talk to both Republicans and Democrats, and independents for that matter, mm-hmm. to get a good understanding of where a candidate really stands. And so I, I think what we're looking for is a, is a well-described audience that's very clear uh, questions that are posed in a way that, to eliminate bias, and mm-hmm. then uh, results that um, are public knowledge. They, you know, when not just re- releasing one question or one question that's favorable, but really understanding what was asked around it to give you a better understanding of what really was at play. Yeah. So, Emily, I want to get at this more in a moment. The the landscape around polling has really, really shifted in the last several cycles, right, since 2016 on, essentially. And technology has changed this, too. But I wonder, like, do you encounter this basic issue of just people are not willing to talk to pollsters anymore? Is that a big challenge, just getting a good sample? Well, we've had trouble getting people to answer their phones. I think Mm. that is a universal (laughs) that people don't really (laughs) pick up the phones anymore. I personally don't have a landline. The way that polling has worked in the past was random digit dialing. But our industry has been evolving. So random digit dialing is when anyone with a phone number has an equal chance of being called. Mm. And the phone number is randomly selected. Um, And if For instance, I have a Maryland area code because that's where I grew up, but I live in the District of Columbia now. And if you were trying to get a random sample of people in D.C. by the area code, mine may not go in. So Mm. there's tools that we can use to reach people, but we're increasingly moving toward online samples. You mentioned text to web, which is when you get a phone number. We use this a lot as a polling industry. I get them all the time. um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you can click through. Um, Sometimes you Google the name of the outlet, (laughs) but you can click through and you can take that survey. I get those sometimes too. They'll come to your cell phone. Um, And that's one way that we've dealt with 
people not picking up the phone. Mm -hmm. um, there's also ways to reach people by email. Um, the voter file surveying, which is when you pick out of the list of people who are registered to vote, has some contact information for some people in, in most states. And then you can reach out to them with that contact information. Uh, you also mentioned opt-in polls. Those are polls that you can say, ooh, I want to share my opinion here. And yeah. people do want to share their opinions, even if they don't necessarily want to pick up the phone. <laughs> good, Paul. Well, the good news is in Arizona in particular, we still have a much older electorate. More than half That's of our true, electorate yeah. is over the age of 55. And so we still have a great deal of success in being able to reach people via the telephone. And I still believe that telephonic surveying with a live interviewer is the gold standard. And you can also direct dial cell phones as required by law. And as long as you use phone numbers that don't get blocked or labeled as spam, you can have some decent luck in getting people to conduct the surveys that way. It is changing, certainly. Mm. Um, I talked to a lot of folks say, well, I never pick up the phone. I say, well, the good news is there's someone on the other side of the aisle, the same as you, that won't pick up the phone. <laughs> um, That's very true. Also, how do those people ever hear from their doctors is what I always wonder. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you have to leave me a voicemail, I got to tell you. <laughs> okay, so pretend you're the consumer then. You're the person who is inundated with these polls all the time and all these, you know, 50% of people say this or this race is a tie or whatever it may be. And you are inundated with a poll. They want you to fill it out. What do you look for? How do you judge this as like a news you can use kind of thing, Paul? So uh, a couple things is look who conducted the poll. Mm -hmm. Do they have some sort of who is the author? Do they have something to benefit or gain from that? That We hear a lot about internal polling. Internal polling is often released by a candidate or campaign because it's beneficial to them. Mm -hmm. So who's conducting the poll? How is the poll conducted? Is it via the phone? Was it text? Was it opt-in? Did they ask their three neighbors what they felt about this <laughs> thing? Um, and then the, what's the types of questions that they asked? A good poll will, will release the information. They'll give you a link so that you can look at the questions mm -hmm. and the top line information and, and make that decision for themselves. So when we're doing this, especially for candidate races, we really want you to have a reflective sample that reflects the electorate. For example, mm -hmm. in the state of Arizona, about a third of Republicans, third Democrats, third independents, that's registration. But that's not how participation works here in the yeah. state. Republicans over-participate, independents under-participate. And mm. so when you're looking at that data, just even looking at party registration and looking at age, as I mentioned, our electorate's a little bit older. Mm -hmm. This can be applied to any audience, any place, is knowing that it needs to be reflective of the demographics of the audience that you're looking at. One of the things we also look at, in, in addition to all those other things, is, is was the poll weighted at all? Hmm. And if it was weighted, to what parameters? And where did they get those parameters? So some of the things that you wait to be on, some, some outlets wait to party ID, not all do. Um, but you also check to see, is it weighted to gender? Is it weighted to race? Is it weighted to education? Um, there's a, there was a polling bias back you, uh, looking at tw the 2016 election, a lot of the polls that didn't do as well that year um, mm. were heavily, heavily more educated than uh, other polls. You can't wait your way out of a bad sample, but it does help go um, if your population in the poll doesn't reflect the population that you're trying to measure. It's really hard to get good data from that. Okay, so you opened the can of worms there in the 2016 <laughs> election, so I'm going to ask you about that. So uh, polls can do some things. They cannot do other things. I think a lot of the conversation since 2016 about polling has been about how we just don't understand exactly what it is we're looking at when we look at a poll. So I want to talk about that. But first, tell us a little bit about, Emily, from your point of view nationally, what happened in polling in 2016 when, you know, a lot of people lost faith in it because the many of those national polls about whether or not Donald Trump would win were, were just wrong. I think Paul will agree with me here that a lot of industries are probably not as self-reflective and self 
critical as the polling industry is. We really (laughs) look to ourselves and want to be better. Um, We want to be the best we can be, and we want to ensure that we're measuring people accurately. Mm -hmm. And after the 2016 election and after the 2020 election, uh, the American Association of Public Opinion Researchers got together and created a committee to see what went wrong. And that was a lot of brains (laughs) looking at the data and trying to figure out what was up. And one of the things we discovered in 2016 was that education thing. Mm -hmm. Didn't see that as much in later years, it, it gives us, you know, a reputational problem, right, when people say they can't believe us at, at all. But one thing I think is really important to remember is that horse race polling is not the only type of polling. Exactly. Mm. And right now, asking someone about who you're going to vote for in November 2024, like, people might have decided already, but a lot of people, that's like 13 and a half months away or something, but who's counting? Um, (laughs) And it does change too. But there's plenty of other issue topics that we ask about um, that really get at the crux of what America's thinking and what Arizonans are thinking um, to a greater degree than just who they're going out to vote for. So yes, people are excited about the horse race question. They get really thrilled with it. (laughs) There's margin of error, which is a really important thing to understand when you look at election polling, that polls are snapshot in time. They're not meant to be predictive. The error margin applies to each candidate. Um, But one thing I think we can take away from horse race questions is that they'll really be good at telling you if an election is close or if an election is far apart. Sure. But for those close elections, horse race polling doesn't do a great job of telling you who's two or three points ahead because those error margins are often wider than those gaps. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Paul, just heard Emily talk about what happened in national polling in the 2016 election that kind of lost the trust of so many Americans. But I want to turn to you because the polls were not wrong in Arizona in 2016, right? Uh, that's correct. I mean, I think the big issue with 2016 is also you're trying to take a national view of an issue and mm-hmm. note recognizing that it's really a state by state issue. A presidential mm-hmm. election, each swing state, mm-hmm. each area has a difference. But locally here in Arizona in 2016 and beyond, we've been able to be pretty accurate because we know the electorate, we know the audience, we're closer to it than, say, somebody that's got to get a little bit from Arizona, a little bit from Ohio, a little bit from here, a little bit from there, that, you know, getting a, a base of just Arizona races mm-hmm. um, allowed us to be more accurate and be more reflective of, of what the audience is. We were able to call cinema beating McSally narrowly in 2018, for example, and we were pretty close on all the 2022 races. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because we're simply just trying to stay in our lane about this. But it created this massive problem where people just say, oh, you're making up all the numbers. because. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Prior to 2016, what you really saw is with the advent of 538 and 8 Silver mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, Real Clear Politics, you saw people following polling and they were pretty good at determining the trends and had used several years of that data to get reliable results. And then 2016 happens. Um, it's, you know, a, a crazy event, what we expected, red, black swan event, as it were. And <laughs> um, we everybody says, well, it's all wrong now. And so mm-hmm. I think there's still a lot of things within survey research that's incredibly important. And what Emily said is true. Issues are a place where we see a lot of good work. The data isn't always just horse races. In fact, there's a lot more helpful information out there, particularly in what people care about. Or pumpkin spice. Okay. Um, so, Emily, <laughs> what, what's your response to that that giant, you know, elephant in the room, right? Like that just people don't trust polls anymore. Like Paul said, a lot of what you hear probably is you're just making up these numbers. I think we need to regain that trust, certainly. And also, man, it would be so much work to make these things up. <laughs> it would be so hard to even understand what people thought. I think 
those of us who are in this industry are in this industry because we genuinely want to know what people think. And it's a privilege to be able to measure public opinion. So we want to get it right. If we just wanted to push our own opinions, I think we would just like talk to our friends and family. Um, <laughs> there, there is, of course, you know, some some opinion polling that's out there that campaigns do and that there's message testing and things of that nature. Uh-huh. Um but even that, they're mostly wanting to figure out what people know. You see a lot of, what is it? We call it in the industry, frugging, which is a funny <laughs> word. And it is fundraising that's made to look like polling, which drives uh. me batty. So you get a letter in the mail that looks like it's from census, but it's really from some organization. And it ends at the end of the survey that you're taking out about how much you love the organization <laughs> that's asking you for money. At the end, it asks you for money. And then we constantly, anytime time you go to a restaurant or buy a product online or in person, you get a survey asking, how was that? What was yeah. going on? That's not what we're doing. Those yeah. are for, for private companies. But I think people are overwhelmed by getting their opinion asked and maybe don't necessarily want to share it. But I think people often conflate all of these things as yeah. surveys. But please answer our surveys. Please right. answer I, our surveys. I mean, I, I think of it this way. You know, if you ever drank like an off-brand soda, you wouldn't swear off Coca-Cola forever. You wouldn't sure. be like, okay. oh, gosh, I'm never having a soft drink <laughs> ever again. Um, and we've, there is off-brand. There is polling that is meant to be deceptive. What Emily was talking about, people will also, they'll poll individuals and say, what issue you care most about so that they can email you if you care about immigration. They mm. send you nothing but email <laughs> about immigration so that they can get you to donate. I mean, th- those things are true. But the issue is there is still incredibly reliable, incredibly accurate data. And the pollsters like Emily and others uh, live by that data. It is Their goal is to inform the public. Mm. And they're not trying to be wrong. They're doing everything they can to be we're trying to be as right as possible, as accurate as possible, and take away bias. I get folks that call me all the time. I want a poll that says this is popular. And I say, <laughs> look, I, I'm happy to do the research for you, and we'll find out if the item is popular or not. But that's we never go into any of these research with the end in mind. Our goal is to give you an accurate, unbiased review of what's going on so that you can make good decisions. Yeah. That's what all – good polling is about. Yeah, absolutely. We even had a poll that came out today about living near solar and wind farms. Mm. And to our surprise, there were majorities across party lines, majorities across urban and suburban and rural areas that said that they'd feel comfortable if there was a solar panel field or wind turbines built in their communities. And I think we so often are thinking about a partisan world where everyone's disagreeing. But when we ask about questions like this, having these data of this national poll, knowing what people think, I think is extremely valuable. Yeah. Well, water is a great example. There's yeah. another one. Um, mm-hmm. If you talk about issues in Arizona, if you talk about drought, more than three quarters of the electorate think that we're in a drought and that we will not have enough water to last the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. But if, as soon as you bring the word climate change into it, mm-hmm. uh, the number falls down significantly. And so words, the words you ask, the way mm-hmm. you ask the question can have a sig- seriously significant impact. Paul, do people lie to polls? Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> all the time. Um, the nice thing is both sides lie, so they really sort of cancel each other oh, out. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but the... <laughs> 
One of the things, for example, is we I don't typically ask people for their age and I don't typically ask for their party registration. I'll get mm-hmm. that from the file. I'll know that ahead of time and adjust accordingly because people will lie about their age <laughs> um, or they'll, they won't remember how they're registered. They may know how they feel that day, mm-hmm. um, what registration they're feeling, but they may not necessarily ha- know how they're registered. But if you're trying to communicate to an independent voter, yeah. you want to know what they feel. The only way to really talk to them is when identifying and finding them by their independent registration. So uh. you want to talk to in that audience. Oh, that is There's so There's also something yeah. called social desirability that people will be more willing to say something that they think will look good for them. Yeah. So we always see in polling <laughs> that more people say they voted than actually voted um, oh. because it's seen as a good thing as an American to go out and vote. Yeah. So we every time we are in the field, we say, did you vote in the last election? Oh, yes, I definitely voted. And that's not always true. Uh. No. But I don't think that there's a bunch of people out there maliciously lying to us. I think mm. a lot of this is social desirability. And of course, we all want to be a little younger. Mm. <laughs> I yes. want to talk briefly before we get to the end here about spin, right? Because So, Emily, you're working with a news outlet. Paul, you work with clients a lot, with, with candidates a lot, right? Um, I wonder how the conversation around polling can, in fact, impact the election, the issue at hand, what people think about it. Does that happen? Or is it just a little bit of, of spin in the press? Well, I mean, polling, you got to look at what the goal behind it is. Are you trying to inform the public? Are you trying to uh, inform the media? For I mean, one of the challenges with horse race uh, polling, for example, is that's what the media wants. That's yeah. what they eat up. Yeah. That's what they'll report on. If you talk about 75 percent of the electorate thinking that we're in a drought, you don't get a headline for that. But if so-and-so is leading so-and-so by four points, you'll get you'll lead the five o'clock news hour. And so <laughs> that's the problem is really what is it for? I mean, like like Emily mentions, it's used for fundraising. People, mm. candidates can put it out to say we're, we're narrowing the gap or that we're, we're ahead to try to get people to donate money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can be used for a lot of those different things. But it, more than anything, it can be used to navigate and understand what the electorate wants. Mm. Um, we see this all the time that candidates aren't talking about the issues that voters actually care about. And they could win. I say this all the time. You could win talking about education. You can win talking about water. But we we focus on the other issues because that vocal group mm. that is out there screaming about those issues are the ones that get heard because they're the ones that show up at precinct committee meetings in other places. Mm-hmm. Polling gives you an opportunity to talk to the broader audience. You'll never, even if you talk to every person you possibly can as a candidate or as a campaign, you will miss large portions of people who are going to show up and vote. And the only way to get in front of that audience and the only way to really understand what they think is to perform that survey research and really sit down with them and get an understanding. I have an argument here for having pollsters in your newsroom who understand how data work because then you won't have headlines saying that someone's (laughs) leading by one percentage point, which is usually within the margin of error. And you'll have headlines like the one we have today. Americans don't hate living near solar and wind farms as much as you might think. And uh, a poll we had last week, homeschooling today is less religious and more diverse. Mm. And let's see what else we had. America passed the EV tipping point, but many buyers still want gas. So we ask about these issues. Mm -hmm. We report on those issues. 
we can learn a lot from the populace about what they think about issues. And if candidates paid more attention to the issues, maybe they'd talk about them more. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was going to do a whole lightning round at the end here, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to just ask you each the top poll that you are looking at right now. And this I'm going to restrict to politics because that is going to be the context in which most polling conversations happen in the next year or so. Emily, what's top of mind for you when it comes to what you're looking at, what trends you're seeing in politics and polling? Well, we're asking a lot of questions about things that matter to Americans. And Americans are experiencing high costs of things right now. And they are telling us in poll after poll that they're concerned about the economy. They're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about spending costs. Um, But we're also asking questions about climate change and how they're experiencing that. And I think it's really important this day and age to look at every... We can say that everything is tied to politics. Everything is political. These are decisions that will be made by politicians in the future. Right. And that we find these areas of agreement because people keep saying how polarized America is right now. But there's plenty of things we agree on. And the only way we can really tell what the American population and the population in Arizona and the population across the country in different states say about different issues is by asking them and by measuring it and finding out where people agree. Okay, Paul? The road to the White House goes through Arizona, and the road to Arizona goes through independence. Uh, I am absolutely focused on, I think the most interesting thing we will see is where the independent and affiliated voter goes. Um, They are now the largest registered group in the state once again. Arizona's four key swing districts are all basically determined by independent voters. And Mm so where they are and what they care about is really, really important. And it's not a solidified group. Independents don't want to be of a party. That's why there isn't an independent party. Mm -hmm. But understanding what they're feeling, how they're being talked to, if any of the other partisan groups care enough to talk to them, that's going to be the story in 2024 in Arizona. All right. Well, watch for it. Paul Benz, Senior Vice President of Research and Strategy at High Ground, and Emily Guskin, polling analyst with The Washington Post, joining us to talk it all through. Paul, Emily, thank you both so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And this has been the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast, made possible in part by Helios Education Foundation and Alliance Bank, the Vitalist Health Foundation, the Intel Corporation and Beach Fleischman, the Arizona Community Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Thank you for listening to KJZZ and for your generous support. I'm Tiara Vian, and this is KJZZ, your news and information station.